Hey, what's up, folks? I'm Winston from HubSpot. Not familiar? Well, they make this show just for you, but they also have a pretty interesting platform that helps you grow your business. Later in the episode, we'll hear from one of HubSpot's customers that offers a unique nightlife experience where you'll sing, you'll dance, and hell, you may even howl. Learn more about how HubSpot can help you grow your business at HubSpot.com slash customer love. <laughs> okay. You might have seen this company in an ad on your Instagram feed. Maybe you know them from your bathroom mirror. Or maybe, just maybe, you heard an ad spot from this company on a podcast you were listening to right before this one. Today, we're drilling down on toothbrushes, design, and dental care. Simon Enever is the founder and CEO of Quip, the subscription oral care service known for their toothbrushes and toothpaste. Along with his friend and fellow industrial designer, Bill May, Simon saw an opportunity right under his nose. Accessible and desirable dental health. These days, the company has over a million subscribers. Simon talks about the role brand messaging and voice played early on in the company, how Quip's working with their customers to create better products and healthier habits, and why bringing their toothbrushes into stores is actually the best thing for their customers. I'm Megan Keeney Anderson, and this is The Growth Show. Well, okay, so let me, let me start here. And I'll have to ask you to forgive me, but I would say that the English have not always got the best reputation when it comes to teeth and dental care. And I'm curious if you were trying to reverse the reputation or where that fits in into your, your psyche around this company. Yeah, I think you've just stolen my my main joke for the for <laughs> <laughs> that usually that usually comes up in, in the storytelling itself. So uh yeah, no, the the irony is definitely not lost on me that I'm a Brit with uh, honestly pretty below average teeth trying to change oral care uh, in America. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. See, yeah. I sort of envision that you have these like impeccable chompers because you started this company. So not so much. No, I mean, well, I mean, I now have extremely healthy teeth, which is obviously the most important thing. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> and maybe that's getting, you know, deep into the kind of the brand mission. But uh, yeah, very healthy teeth, not the straightest teeth. Um, you know, maybe I'll get back to changing that one day again. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay, well, let's, let's start with the basics then. Yeah. What is Quip? We're an oral care service and like we're looking to really just help, uh, help people with, with the entirety of their oral care routine, you know, from the products they use at home every day uh, all the way through, you know, ultimately to the professional care that they should be having at least uh, twice every year, um, mm. you know. People certainly know us best uh, at the moment for our electric toothbrush uh, and it's kind of connected uh, brush head delivery service and subscription and toothpaste uh, service and subscription. Uh, but ultimately, yeah, we're looking to really help you with the, the whole of your oral care. Well, so I know you've got big visions here and one that sort of expands beyond just toothbrushes, but let me actually dig in there for a moment yeah. because some people may not even be that familiar with that component of it, this concept of 
toothbrush delivery. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, that's kind of where we figured was the most important place and, and really just easy to understand place to start. But yeah, look, Quip started after a dental visit that I had, I think it was Christmas 2012. So yeah. this is a long time ago now, at least it feels it when subscriptions weren't just kind of a fashion thing that everyone tried to put on top of everything. Mm -hmm. You know, I was basically showing a couple of the same bad brushing habits that as the dentist pointed out that day, that most people have. You know, for me, it was that I was brushing my teeth far too hard. Mm -hmm. You know, the, den the dentist explained that there's many misconceptions in oral care. One of those was that uh, almost because we've been sold these products and these services that are all about power brushing, power this, power that, you know, the stronger, the better. People think that brushing is all about like this powerful way of brushing things off your teeth. And, hmm. and it's the opposite. You should be focusing on, it's not about rubbing off stains. That's a tiny part of it. It's more about getting your bristles in your gum line. Um, mm. so anyway, you know, he, he started to, you know, what it's like when you're in a dentist chair, you, you, you can't really say much. So you, I was sat yeah. there, for, I sat there for about 50 <laughs> minutes with my mouth open listening. And really what he was saying was, look, there's, there's these basic habits, uh, that really matter to your oral health. Some of the examples being brushing for two minutes, brushing twice a day, you know, flossing, changing your brush head when it's worn out and visiting the dentist uh, every, every six months. And he's like, the problem is that people get those basic things that matter the most more wrong than anything else. Yeah. One of the things he brought up among many was that people weren't changing their toothbrush when it was worn down and just not working anymore. And so when myself and my co-founder mm -hmm. sat there looking at the problems in the industry and how we solve them as designers, uh, one of those was that people weren't changing their brush head on time. And we just sat there and said, well, the only way you can really do that is essentially by someone turning up at your house and, and, and right. making you do it that day. And, you know, that, that's where the idea for mailing you a brush head on time or at a schedule came from. Um, but it all was an origin from these basic habits that people weren't getting right, uh, weren't invested enough in oral care to kind of, you know, just try and get right. And the big co companies out there at the time weren't focusing on these basic habits because, you know, uh, they can be pretty simple and affordable things to change. And, you know, businesses aren't always focused on the simple, affordable things in the market. Right. Well, that's actually what's so interesting to me about this business and what seems so distinct is you, most businesses set out to build a product that somehow solves a problem that other products don't solve. And you've kind of done that. But what you're really focusing on is how do you actually change human behavior more than just build a better toothbrush. Yeah, actually, you know, it's it's been interesting in the last few weeks talking about the kids brush launch that we just did because, mm -hmm. you know, these habits form early. They form uh, supposedly by about the age of nine, you've really set in most of your core good or bad habits. And so it's interesting that the real fix is actually getting you know, kids up to that age to get those basics right, you know, not just in oral health, of course, but in oral health's case, get those basic things right. And then it's easy to, you know, to maintain them through life. Of course, most people don't have them right. And so, yeah, we, we set out to kind of solve what is always one of the hardest things, which is changing habits. The biggest thing for us, and this was what, honestly, again, that first dental visit taught me, uh, was that Changing habits is extremely hard in an area or an industry where people really do not like and they don't enjoy. And oral care, you know, brushing is at best a chore for most people. Dental visits are a phobia. Uh, you know, when you're trying to change habits in a space that's from chore to hated, uh, it's, it's challenging. And I think that's obviously where our design backgrounds, we felt at least, was going to be our differentiator. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm about to say it. How do you go from pulling teeth to get someone to uh, to care about their dental hygiene? Yeah, I, I really think it comes down to 
I was a designer. Bill, my co-founder, uh, was also an industrial designer. We, we genuinely sat there at the beginning and got excited because we saw a health area where, in our opinion, you know, having a true user-centric design approach mm. uh, could help fix the true kind of health problem in front of us. We didn't start off saying what would create an in incredible business model. We basically said, this is a huge problem. Everyone has a mouth. People yeah. are getting these basic things wrong. Uh, and so for us, it was just, you know, let's create something that's telling that story. Like basically, it's just re-educating you on things you kind of already knew. Yeah. Uh, and it just came through from that kind of simple, honest, accessible design. And, and we said, look, it, it's, it's not about all the stuff that you're being told it's about. You know, it's really about these basics. And we're going to be honest about that. We're going to educate you again about that. And we're going to create a product and a system and a service that focuses just on that. And by doing that, we can make it more simple and and <laughs> We use the word enjoyable, and I think that's obviously to some people a stretch in oral care, but at minimum desirable. You know, if we can make yeah. oral care desirable, we can get you to start wanting to change those habits. And that's kind of been the approach. What were some of those design choices that you made? It is really interesting that you came from a design background to build a better product. Yeah, I mean, there, there were many. I mean, brand and branding was, was a huge part of that. And voice, mm -hmm. you know, and how we spoke to people was a massive part when we looked at the industry, we looked at how it's made up of these products that you use every day, these, you know, dental services, this content, this advice, we very quickly realized that it's probably going to be challenging to start with the most hated area, you know, of dental visits, uh, and probably a lot easier to start to get people engaged uh, on a product that everyone has, you know, everyone uses hopefully twice a day, but right. it's an object you can get kind of attached to and like. So mm -hmm. that's why we started with the toothbrush. Um, what was interesting, actually, was that we we did the opposite of what, again, most people do when they try and create a buzz or a new company in a space. You know, most people look for that one big selling point uh, and they try and kind of pin the marketing kind of around that. When we did our research as to why people were not upgrading to an electric, it was actually m multiple small things that were annoying. Huh. It was part price. It was part the size, it was part the feeling in your mouth, it was part the, you know, the charging stand. It was, it was honestly about 20 different things. And even when surveying, there was no clear kind of winner above all. And so we said, well, you know, that's what it is. We need to make all these, <laughs> we need to make all these small changes to this object. And ultimately that will create this kind of very different feeling around it, of owning it, of buying it, of maintaining it. And so, mm -hmm. you know, we didn't reinvent the wheel. You know, we actually took right? out features you didn't need. In doing so, you could make it more affordable, you can make it more simple, you could get rid of the charging stand. It was very much focusing on those habits that mattered the most, talking to dentists, like what do they really care about? What really helps people brush better? And then when we got that, we could make a much more simple, more desirable product. That is so antithetical to what you hear. I mean, you hear focus yeah. and uh, the fact that you you know took on everything to make, yeah. uh, to make a different product is, is pretty, uh, pretty interesting. So yeah. after launching, how have customers influenced your product and how you sell? Yeah, honestly, hugely. And, and I think that's obviously a huge advantage of having that direct relationship with your members. Um, you know, even in the early days, the, the products looked the same, generally speaking, uh, from the outside. I mean, to most eyes, it looks identical to what it did on that first day. The truth is we've probably made... Uh, easily a hundred changes to various different pieces, you know, some on the inside, some on the outside, you know, the, the cover, there's been so many small little touches that just by having that direct relationship, being able to be in conversation with our members um, and, and reacting to feedback, whether that be, you know, through just general CX conversations or again, surveying and talking to our members, 
Um, we've really changed so much of it just to keep improving the general experience. Right. I, I think when it, when it got really exciting was was actually with this kids launch. Um, we actually took a sample of, I believe, around 50 kids. Um, most of the users we, we worked with were actually people that had told us, you know, during the last few years uh, that they wanted a kid's brush. And, and so we literally reached out to our members and ultimately we did testing from any, everything from in-home testing, you know, what, how they use their current toothbrushes, you know, how they enjoyed their Quips adult, adult as it were, or original toothbrush. Mm-hmm. Um, then we, you know, use them for, uh, I think prototypes is the wrong word in a way, but, you know, early <laughs> versions of the kid's brush, three phases of testing over months and months where we we're able to use that member base that we had to do everything from surveys to live, you know, real user testing. And even like near you know, that kind of final pre-production check to see you know what really resonated what were the stories coming out of that yeah. even to help inform marketing and it, and it really did more from simon after this quick break howl at the moon is a live music bar the kind that brings stadium stompers to you every night and if you're april Bokiri, the company's national marketing manager there's only one tune that can quench your thirst. It depends on how drunk I am, but probably like don't stop believing. <laughs> the company started out with a couple of dueling pianos, but as their choice in instruments grew, so too did the company. We're currently in 15 locations nationwide and growing. I'm not going to downplay it. Scaling that type of operation, it took a lot. We needed a ton of different marketing tools in order to complete our regular marketing tasks. So we would have to sign into a different account every time we wanted to do something. Howl at the Moon's marketing needed to tune up. So April brought on HubSpot. I think it just makes my job easier to be able to tie in everything into one like campaign and be able to show people that work above me, like the revenue brought in from that campaign and that sort of thing. But there was one feature that took April by surprise. You see, the company's website could do something that, in person or by phone, might have been a bit more difficult, with the speakers turned to 11. I'm talking about live chat. You know, messaging tool. Bottom right-hand corner of your website. Live chat lets you have personalized conversations with people stopping by your site. In April, figured she had it pegged. We thought we would just get the random questions like what time do you open or I left my coat there, you know, that kind of thing. Instead, what she found was a whole new way to convert leads, close more deals, and provide even better support for her customers. But it's really cool because we've been able to get a lot of last minute party bookings and we've been able to pass them along to our sales team. Live chats, basically like having your own private will call booth on your website without any of the whole cost thing. Because HubSpot's live chat, it's free. Awesome. (laughs) So if you're in the crowd tonight, have a drink on me. Check out more stories from our customers at HubSpot.com slash customer love. HubSpot, grow better. Let me talk with you a little bit about a transition that you recently made with the business where you moved from being solely a direct-to-consumer company to a company that is still direct-to-consumer but also sells through retail stores, namely Target. Uh, You talked a little bit earlier about how important the brand experience and the relationship with understanding the customer is. Do you give any of that up when you start to uh, sell through a retailer? I think there's there's a lot to consider when going into retail because you you're naturally literally giving up or in theory as you know as per the question you're uh, giving up some of those things you know and honestly the reason why 
uh, we we kind of chose uh, Target as that as that first partner is that you know we were looking for how do we replicate what we do online in this critical channel and I think you know mm-hmm. extremely important to know is like it was always in the plan and if we're going to fulfill our mission of being uh, accessible to all you know we are all about yeah. every, every mouth accessibility is our top pillar you know at the end of the day most people don't go online to look for their toothbrush. They're shopping, right. you know, in their weekly or their monthly shop and they're picking up their oral care products, you know, as they do that. And so we, we need to go and meet people where they, where they are if we're going to fulfill our accessibility mission. Interestingly also is that in retail, it's even more apparent the big jump in particularly price point from that manual brush to the electric world. You know, it's yeah. often 5 to $50 is the jump. And so again, like we're bringing this accessible uh, price range product into this market, it really does compound that kind of accessibility piece. So it was always an important thing for us. But as as you said, like the critical thing was how do we replicate the big advantages of going direct to consumer online in retail? And I think, yeah. yeah, you know, controlling that brand message and story was absolutely critical. And honestly, Target had shown with previous launches with D, uh, D2C companies or tradition, mm-hmm. you know, di- uh, what's the word now? Digitally native uh, companies. <laughs> Uh, changes every year. I feel like I hate all those words. Um, I know. They, they'd so you know they'd shown that they were able to take great care of brands, and that they also themselves have got a very well loved, honestly, brand. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that you know that made us feel very safe and excited, actually, about how we could very much continue to tell that brand story uh, in the way that we wanted to, even in that kind of offline world. Of course, it was a yeah. whole you know it was a whole new world for us. How do we do that on packaging? How do we do that in end cap? You know, in inline displays. How do we bring that world of online there? Uh, and so it was a big learning curve for us, but we felt very safe about that aspect. Um, yeah. The challenging part for for sure is you know how do we get put after after discovering Quip uh, you know in Target offline. How do we then bring you into the online world of Quip? That's right. You know, yeah. changing habits, as we said, is hard. You know, and, yeah. and if your habit is uh, is throwing a bunch of brush heads in in your cart, I was going to say trolley. I'm using some English words, but if, <laughs> if if the habit is throwing your brush heads, you know, in your cart uh, alongside your toothbrush and you buy it, uh, you're not going to change that if we give you that option. And so, you know, we decided to only offer refills of the brush head still through our online, you know, getquip.com world. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yep. And that's a way that, you know, we figured and we did a lot of research into how that be received. And, and as soon as we tied the reason for us doing that to the convenience, the added uh, affordability, the education, you know, and all the other pieces of the benefits to the online world, you know, everyone we surveyed uh, before the launch was was like, yeah, of course, you know, why wouldn't I, that's way better. Of course I want it to come on time. Mm-hmm. Of course I want it to be free shipping. You know, I don't want to have to go back and kind of load up with brush heads that I'm going to throw in, a, 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 you know, my storage and forget. So it's an interesting thing to watch happen and, and see those mm-hmm. retail users come into that online world and then get that close relationship that we do with everyone that starts in our uh, online platform. Were you nervous about it just personally, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. making that decision, talking with your team and your co-founders? The, dis- the decision to go in retail, n- you know, n- not at all. I think it was not just it was just a no brainer for us. And again, I think I, 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 I don't know this to be a fact, but I, I do think there's a perception that you shouldn't that you almost should feel guilty about doing that if you are a digitally native uh, brand. 
we just don't think like that. I think we're just trying to solve a problem and we're going to go in the places we, we think we need to to solve that problem. I, yeah. Was I nervous on launch day to see how it was received? Yeah, of course. <laughs> it was a whole new world. <laughs> did you go to a Target and just like follow people around the store to see what they did? Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. what I would do. Yeah, we, we had a, I think we had like a Target day in the office and then a lot of us went to the local, uh, the local Target in, uh, I can't remember the area, Atlantic, Atlantic Terminal, I think is the one. <laughs> just the strange man, creepily kind of like readjusting yeah. all, the, all the aisles. Exactly. Uh, so... I do think that this this transition, it's, it's really interesting the point that you make about accessibility, and that does seem to be a limitation of direct-to-consumer uh, channels and that you kind of have to go where the people are if you're trying to solve a broader behavioral issue. How, as you've, as you've evolved this product, as you've gotten into stores, do you see retail itself changing, uh, adapting more to some of the D2C type ways or otherwise learning from each other? Yeah, no, completely. And I, I think that is a reason why uh, retailers in general are interested. Well, I, I think it's it's very well known that retailers are thinking about how they better do online. And so mm-hmm. I'm not going to speak for them, but I think there was a lot of uh, interest in, in all of them from learning about the online brands. And so it ends up being this really interesting relationship where each learns about each other's world. And, and then, you know, in the end, I think we create a better experience for the customer or the consumer or the member or the guest, um, mm-hmm. depending on how you, on what word you use. Are the consumers themselves different? Uh, you know, if you find someone who has discovered you online versus someone who discovered you for the first time in a target aisle, are those two people that fundamentally different or are people just people? <laughs> you know, we did a lot of work to kind of survey members and we just found that the attitudes and the the feedback that we would get was just the same. You know, it was identical. Like huh. you know, the, the comments were just the same as we get online. They were saying, yeah, you know, it's it's far more convenient to get things delivered. It's far more convenient, mm. especially if something is on a routine. Um, but, it, but at the same time, it's far more common to discover oral care products, you know, in a big box retailer or in, or in a pharmacy or whatever it is. So, right. uh, you know, I said everyone has a mouth. That's like this internal and sometimes external mantra that we talk about a lot you know that's the way we've already seen it and so we designed quip both the physical products but also the brand to be something that we believe is appealing mm. across demographics across age ranges you know across sexes and everything and uh, and it's really proven to be that sure is it more difficult to stand out in store or online oh that's a that's a great question you know to talk to retail i guess the brands that have been there forever a lot of the features, let's say, in the oral care space that we've all been sold on over the last 20 years, uh, as it were, uh, as being the best possible, you know, whatever feature or mode or bristle for your teeth, a lot of that's designed, uh, and I know this is a designer that's seen some of these briefs, a lot of that's designed for, uh, you know, to be discovered on shelf and to be to win that shelf war, as it were. You know, it, right. how, can, how can we make this big claim? How can we put this big graphic? But I think what that did was it just created this kind of arms race for those features, those those kind of gimmicks, those those kind of buzzy things that stand out on shelf. But everyone looked the same. You know, it all was saying the same thing. Everyone's saying they're the best possible toothbrush or toothpaste right. or whatever it was. And so that kind of drowns itself out. But you then you have this kind of sea of the same looking thing, which is just big badges shouting big things at you. So for us in retail, it, it felt extremely easy to stand out. You know, we 
we focus on this habit. So we have this very yeah. clean, white, you know, negative space packaging, which is which instantly stands out as, as being extremely different. It's white, which for some reason in oral care, everything's seems to be blue or obviously <laughs> red. Um, and so physically and graphically, it was easy to stand out. You know, one thing that we did invest heavily in was the physical shape, actually, of the retail box itself. And and we kind of did this shape that's uh, very hard to do and it's actually never really been done before on mass scale. Huh. But I think people are used to, brand, big brands are used to kind of driving for just low cost at all cost. And we were like, no, we need to stand out. We're going to put the effort in. We're going to invest the money in making this unique packaging and so even with this simple white look, we've got this very unique physical shape and, uh, and design on the shelf that in itself kind of stands out a lot, even if it were next to another very simple packaging. And so I think it's just that kind of investment again in design and understanding the power that has. Yeah. So I want to move on and talk a little bit about, you know, today in the future, because you've, you're going through another kind of really interesting transformation with the business. So recently... Quip purchased Afora, which is a membership-based alternative to dental care with preventative cleanings, x-rays, exams, and so forth. Yep. Very different from the consumer product <laughs> yeah. company of toothbrushes for adults and kids. Yeah. You're in the insurance game now too? What? Why? <laughs> yeah. yeah. The more controversial answer there is that insurance in oral care is a, it's a bit of a funny word because often... Uh, you're not really insured, as it were, against the big treatments. Uh, you know, the the caps on many mm. insurances that, that most people have are actually extremely low, meaning that, you know, once you've had your covered basic things like your exams, your x-rays, your cleanings, you know, maybe a filling here or there, if you have a root canal in that same year, you're paying a lot out of pocket, typically, of course, you know, not in every single plan. Yes. Insurance is complicated it's expensive and it's horrible. <laughs> and so yeah. it was just, again, like a no brainer from the beginning that we were, we've always been building a product and a, and a service in that space. Um, the acquisition just helped us to, it allowed us to really accelerate our own efforts in that space. That's what we're so excited about is tying that full space together because it is so true that the way you brush your teeth at home every day is absolutely linked and is the most impactful thing on how expensive and painful those dental visits are and the reverse. Yeah. And so they are connected and it's kind of crazy to us that they've never been connected in that way before. And so, yeah, we're extremely excited about doing that. Well, it feels like with Afora, there are so many different ways you could go with this now. I mean, it opens it up to so many different products and areas. What's your vision for growing the company from this point forward? Honestly, I'm, I'm pretty open when talking about it. Like, And maybe this is a boring answer, but we are helping you uh, and almost taking off of your hands your oral care. We want to be accessible to everyone and we don't want to. We're certainly building this platform in a way that doesn't say, hey, if you're not using all of our things, we're not going to help. Mm -hmm. We're not going to help you. No, we, we're definitely building this platform in a way that says, you know, 70% of the country has insurance already. You might have that insurance. We're not, yeah. not going to not work with you and not make that experience everything we can do to help everything maybe apart from that one piece better. And so we're not trying to create kind of a, a ward elitist garden, you know, we're doing the opposite. We're trying to build a platform that helps link all of these things together, together better. Let me ask you this final question. Your parents weren't dentists. <laughs> you, uh, you didn't, you know, have a best friend who loved brushing his or her teeth growing up, as I'm assuming. <laughs> Did all of this really stem from like one transcendent moment in a dentist chair? Yeah, I know. I think people think I made that up because it sounds like a genuine story, but but it very much is. I think the immediate follow up question is: 
where is that dentist now? And <laughs> does he know all about this business? Uh, I'm, I, I hope he knows about, I hope uh, he knows about the business. Um, <laughs> otherwise, we're not doing our job, our job too well. Uh, no, look, I, I, I think from right at the beginning, we understood that the industry, the, de the professionals, and not just dentists, you know, the hygienists, the, the mm -hmm. orthodontists, everyone in this profession are so important. They are the, they are the key. And really what we're doing at Quip is we're trying to make their message and their products and their services just more consumer friendly. And that's what we're doing. You know, that, that is at the crux of, of, that's the opposite way of looking at what we're doing. That's, that's essentially what we say to the provider world that we are doing and we're helping them with. And so the second that, you know, I went to that dentist and I left and I spoke about this oral care area as a interesting problem with, with my co-founder Bill, Instantly, we, we brought on kind of almost like an unofficial advisory board of, of dentists that we just looked to for advice, you know, on how we built this from the beginning. We hired uh, full two full-time dentists extremely early on. I think they were higher number 11 and 12, which is crazy for a, a, a team of our size. So we knew how important they were because we did not come from that world. But then on the yeah. flip side, what was so the reason we we also got to where we have is bec almost because we didn't come from that world because we we were the consumer, and so I think that mm. that tension of me being ultimately a consumer, a patient, and then instantly from day zero or originating the entire concept, all our values, all our basic things that we focused on with with providers, with dental professionals, and then you know working with them and hiring them and building this network. That tension, I think, is is helped us get where we are now because I think a lot of companies are either on one side, uh, you know, purely professionals thinking as professionals, or maybe on the other side, so many you know startups are consumers yeah. thinking like consumers and thinking they're better than the professionals. I think you need both. Yeah, it really is a unique mission. I so appreciate you taking the time to share it with us. No, it's been a pleasure pleasure talking about it. Thank you. Today's episode was written and produced by Matthew Brown. I want to try a quick social experiment. You in? If you haven't turned me off just yet, I'm taking that as nonverbal affirmation. Okay. See the person next to you? Yes, that person. Casually, not creepily. Lean over and tell them, hey, you should check out this podcast I'm listening to called The Gross Show. Go ahead. I'll be here. Are you new best friends? Keep talking. I'll stop ranting. I'll be back on Friday to talk to you about my favorite film. Okay, okay. Until then, I'm Megan Keeney Anderson, and thanks for listening.